Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hi, and welcome to the 224th episode of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. I'm Kyle Barton of, let's go with Waterside Windsor's this time. And I'm mm-hmm. here with my co-host, Sean, of the Corner Workshop. Tonight, we're talking with Craig Thibodeau of CT Fine Furniture and asking him the five questions. So welcome, Craig, and um, let's get started. So your first question is, how did you get into woodworking? I started woodworking kind of as a hobby when I was going to college. My parents had always had a shop, and we played in the shop, but never did anything really serious there. But then in college, I kind of needed a break from studying, so we had a garage shop, little one-car garage shop initially, and just got the most basic tools and got started building stuff. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, pretty good. Now, this next one I always want to say, like, um, oh, it's like Monty Python. The, the guy at the bridge. Oh. Says, what is your favorite tool? Oh, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, my at the, at the time, we, we, yeah, we always say like right now because we know it can change. Yeah. Like, oh, I it, love this, but you know, really, I reach for this more, or you know, whatever. So, Rotex sander. Yeah, well, that benchcrafted high vice is tempting because it is really nice. But the the Rotex sander, the Festool, is that's been my favorite tool probably ever since I bought it. it, now, it just Diami just would, the Rotex version. I was like, Diami would throw model numbers at this. Is that do they have like a five inch, six inch version, or they put uh, Rotex you know, in multiple ones, right? Yeah, they have different ones now. They I think they even have a three inch one. I have the six mm-hmm. inch, and I it's. It's the version that switches from the aggressive Rotex to random orbit, and mine has never switched from Rotex to anything else um, because the Rotex version, it, it's just ideal for glue removal and quick flattening of veneer panels. And then, in my opinion, the random orbit side of it is not very good. The machine is not well balanced for random orbit work, but their smaller 5-inch just random orbit sanders work fantastic for that. So I just use it for essentially initial flattening, glue removal, and cleanup work, and then switch over to hand sanding and random orbit. But it does a fantastic job of that. You know, hogs off glue like nobody's business. Squeeze out, that is. Well, great. Well, let me ask you the next question. So who has influenced you the most in woodworking? Oh, there's a long list, but initially I was influenced by James Krenov and George Nakashima. That's really what got me into woodworking mm-hmm. is reading reading Krenov's books. Um, since then, you know, Paul Schirsch is what he's the person that really got me interested in doing marketry work, having seen his work in person. But I would think the most influential woodworker over the work I'm doing now is David Rundgen from the 18th, 17th, 18th century, because mm-hmm. my mechanical pieces are definitely inspired by his work. They're much, much simpler than his work, but they're definitely inspired by it. He's yeah, how, kind of the driving force behind me doing those kinds of pieces at this point. Yeah, I mean, how truly marvelous in the in the I think the true sense of that word is what the, what he was able to do and the and the likes of his at the same time, you know, to 
250 years ago. I mean, oh, it's mind blowing. It's, I don't know how they did it. And that mechanical furniture oh. was really popular. They weren't the only people doing it at that period in time. You know, it was furniture for royalty. It was yeah. stuff that had huge budgets, comparatively speaking. You know, I've mm. seen some prices for his pieces, and they're, you know, the equivalent of, in today's dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. mm. for the pieces he was building. But just the complexity of the pieces and how they were able to do that by candlelight with no CNC, no computer, no powered machine tools like, you know, a CNC lathe or even a metal lathe. It, it's just mind-blowing, the complexity. And I've watched the videos of his pieces dozens of times. I still can't figure out how they did some of the movements. You know, the pieces, especially like the Berlin Secretary, where you open the door and it folds out in 16 different ways and just kind of keeps folding further and further out. I have no idea how they did that. And how they got it to work so consistently, and it's 250 years later, and it—I mean, it's obviously it's in a museum, but it still works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen that in in video form, uh, and it, yeah, it's absolutely phenomenal what what they were able to do back then. And same oh, thing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you think about the the mind of like Da Vinci back in the time, like this was all purely mind, pen, and pencil that could yeah. design these things. There was n- very rudimentary things compared to what we have accessible today. So. Truly, no, imagine, truly imagine phenomenal. if they had CAD and a CNC. Oh, yeah. The kind oh. of stuff that they could have done. And even. also the, not the distraction of social media or other things. Yeah. Because, <laughs> hey, Instagram's not a distraction, man. Come on. Okay. Yep. I check it only like 50 or 60 times a day. That's not a distraction in, at all. An hour, right? <laughs> uh, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. Anyway. <laughs> Um, so uh, on to the next one Uh, what was what was your biggest stumbling block you've developed uh, you know you know in your in your you know time working so i mean you've had had a few oh yeah um from a like a general perspective it would be kind of finally realizing that in order to build really complex either ornate or you know high-end pieces i had to build them before I was going to be able to sell them. People had to know that I was going to be able to do that kind of a project and that quality of work before they'd ever spend the kind of money to buy that piece. So there was a lot of kind of hand-wringing, deciding whether or not am I really going to spend the next three months building this super complex piece, even though nobody's paid for it. Now, Um, now you have a long list of awards from shows across uh, I want to say not only California, but the nation. So I think that's, a, so is that, that part of the strategy you, you use to get known? Yeah, definitely early on my, my mm-hmm. sort of, it was, it was definitely a field of dreams thing. If you build it, they will come. And my, mm-hmm. my decision early on was to build show pieces, you know, one or two a year, really extravagant looking pieces, at least extravagant for that period of time in my career and put them in shows and try and get attention. And yeah. that that did it did what it was supposed to do. Some of those pieces sold, they generated other commissions, they won awards, they got in magazines. They they did generate the buzz that they were intended to do. Um but, but it it's definitely a serious decision early on to do that yeah. because it, it if you're kind of just starting out and mm. you are going to put three months into a project and not get paid for it, there, there's a lot of gambling going on there of what's going to happen at the end of that three months. But you now know, whether your, your uh, pieces are so extravagant, you can't even put them in a show. 
<laughs> yeah, and, that, and that's kind of unfortunate. There's actually a show coming up here in January that I'd, I'd love to have a piece in, but I lost all of the spec pieces I had in the, the flood I had a year and a half ago. Oh. So they, I lost seven pieces of furniture in that. Um, they just aren't meant to be underwater, no matter no. what they're made yeah. of. Yeah. Um, mm. Oddly you enough, insure them in now, I guess, or well, did the, you? There's shop insurance, yeah. I mean, liability okay. insurance and all that. Um, doesn't cover floods. You know, in my new shop, there's, I think, three pages in my liability policy explaining how if there's anything to do with water, I'm not covered. <laughs> it doesn't matter how the water got there or what kind of water it is, you're not covered. I'm familiar um, so with the, that. Yeah. yeah, they're really detailed about that. So it wouldn't have mattered with that flood anyways. Um, you know, I, I meant to mention this earlier, but an interesting thing about the flood, I had panels because I'm sort of known for using Gorilla Glue quite often. I use it a lot. Um, I had a marquetry panel that sat in a puddle of water for 24 hours straight, pulled it out of the panel. It was unfinished marquetry, glued on quarter-inch MDF with Gorilla Glue. Pulled it out of the panel, trimmed an eighth of an inch off the edge where the, mar- the MDF had swollen a little bit, and it was perfectly fine. No really? bubbles, no bubbles, no delaminations, no nothing. And I had sample panels. I had a ton of sample panels, like chessboards, finished, that I had glued up with tight bond that were in water. And when the water was gone, there was a pile of little two-inch square pieces of veneer on the floor mm. and a blank board. Mm-hmm. And it was it was panel after panel. They just completely fell apart. You know, I mean, it's not surprising. The tight bond's not meant to yeah. be underwater. Um, but it was. It, I wish I had taken pictures of it because it was almost comical how it looked. You know, there's a there's a board with a nice wooden frame glued on it, and just a pile of veneer on the floor. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm sure that would be an email you would have sent to Patrick Edwards. So yeah, you gonna say here? I could have. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think that would actually help me with him though. I don't think Probably he finds not. the idea that it's indestructible a, a benefit. But Probably I find not. It to be a hey, benefit. this is reversible. You can rebuild it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's the idea. You just build it again. You get the client to pay for another one. But yeah, I mean yeah. that that's the biggest stumbling block in in my opinion is for somebody starting out is how to get known. And mm-hmm. for me, I made the decision to make show pieces and put them in shows and try and get attention. And it did that. There are a lot less shows now than there used to be, and there are a lot less galleries to sell work now than there used to be. So it it's maybe a little bit more difficult in some ways, but the the availability of online galleries and places like Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest to show pieces, it's still a good way to get get seen. It just doesn't have quite the the publicity effect of having pieces win awards and shows. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I may be wrong, but in Texas, there's really only one show. And uh, that's in Kerrville. And... Um, that that's a shame. Now, hopefully, somebody uh, chimes in and corrects me and says, "Oh, there's a show here. There's a show here." But the only one that I've ever seen publicized is one in Kerrville, which is in the Austin area. It's in the Hill Country area, and there's a lot of uh, makers in that area. But yeah, I, the, there, at least in this part of the country, there's no shows. I don't know about uh, up in your area of the country, uh, Sean. Oh, very few. Yeah. Very, very, very few. Yeah. I just I just heard about one um, where my parents live about 45 minutes away from me that there's one guy who has a shop that he teaches out of sometimes and he's drawn enough interest that actually um, uh, 
Lee Nielsen is going to do one of their hand tool events at a show next May, I think, mm-hmm. which is like a huge deal because nothing like that comes here. There's no, I mean, I've got to drive three hours to find the nearest anything that's displaying any work or teaching any work for that matter. Yeah, and I, I think that's a great tribute to you, uh, Craig, and the craft of veneering that you're actually uh, highlighting some uh, makers that really don't get a lot of publicity. So uh, kudos to you for doing that. Yeah, I mean, that was that definitely was sort of the, the second thing I wanted to do with the book is show work from people whose work deserves to be shown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I've enjoyed, I enjoy reading woodworking books and seeing galleries of work. And that, that's definitely something I wanted to have in there. I didn't want it to be just a, you know, a how to book without some pretty pictures. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You have some beautiful pictures actually. So, uh, with that said, so how has the internet influenced your work? It's made it easier to be seen for sure. Um, at the moment, Instagram is kind of the, I think the biggest venue and the most friendly venue for showing off work and, you know, getting involved in the community of woodworkers, I suppose it would be, or artists, you know, in a variety of different mediums. But just having a space like Instagram where you can share, you know, sort of maybe even what you're doing in the shop, but, you know, some technique or something you've discovered that you want to just share with other people before it came around, there wasn't anything like that. Um, I mean, Facebook is kind of a, it's a distant second, I suppose, to being able to do that kind of stuff. Right. But, you know, being able to put stuff in, put pictures of your work out and just kind of send them out there and let other people see them. People who would have no way of knowing who you are is fantastic. You know, the, put something on Instagram, it goes all around the world and you have no idea who's looking at it. Um, could be a client, could be, you know, a future student, could be your neighbor, that you just don't know. So it, it allows you to show off pieces, finished pieces or process photos or your shop or whatever you're doing to a whole different audience that, you know, just didn't exist a few years ago. Oh, definitely. And as I've always said, Instagram is the uh, only social media platform that matters. <laughs> I, I have to agree with you. I have <laughs> nothing against Facebook. I know they own Instagram, but it's yeah. not as friendly or easy to navigate and display as Instagram. It's a very simple platform. It's easy to find stuff. It's easy to post. You don't have to go through a bunch of stuff to get there. And in general, I find people on Instagram are very friendly and very supportive. Oh, exactly. Mm -hmm. Sort of the opposite of Facebook. Yeah. And you don't get all the other stuff that's, that's within that. So it's, it's a a nice community. You yeah. can certainly find stuff about politics on Instagram if you want to. I wouldn't but, know, bring up the P for- word, but you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not the difference is that it's not forced on you in a feed, you know, yeah. your feed is the stuff you want to look at. Exactly. And it's not stuff you don't want to look at. So you can tailor it much easier than you can something like Facebook. Yeah. My only issue, and maybe I'm not doing something, is that I I'm I'm one that I want to see things chronologically. I don't want to see things that it happened two, three days ago. Yeah. And Instagram's algorithm doesn't necessarily help that, at, at least as far as I know it. Where yeah. I, 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 I see funny, and maybe they're trying to figure out what I look at it, because I don't like everything I see, so they're not getting the best information about what my interests are. But they're definitely, especially like in the last month or so, or, you know, between Thanksgiving and now, there's... You know, Ben, these things are like, 
you know, even sale things that come up and like today only. And it was for a week ago. Oh, wow. And it's still showing up. It's and maybe it's me because I'm I don't know. But, you know, I I, as you look through it, like you see things that are from an hour ago and then things that were two days ago in right next to each other. And and I think that's I think that's trying to get people to always be on Instagram Um, Mm -hmm. because if if you. Yeah, if you wait two or three days before you check Instagram, you're going to run into a lot of that. But if you check it every day or um, probably like Craig and I do every couple of hours. <laughs> well, yeah. Every maybe two or three minutes. No. Because two or yeah, three like, minutes, just... you, you, get, you get updated. I don't post that often, but yeah, I do, I, I do check it throughout the day. And... I, I don't get that, but I understand exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. just I mean, I, I'm yeah. literally scrolling through, and I, I this has turned into a gripe session. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> you know, I, I've got I've got 19 minutes ago, 29 minutes ago, four hours ago, yeah, uh, and then five hours ago, and then 15 minutes ago. Why? Yeah. Why? I don't need that at all. I I'd much it's rather from, see it. It's from all different people, though, right? It is all different people, absolutely. Yeah. yeah well, that that's probably just showing you the people you follow and the last thing they posted. So if, you know, if you're following me, okay. you may not be, I don't know. I'd be disappointed if you weren't, but I um, if I hadn't posted anything for five hours and the first thing you see is something I post, it, it's just going to come up in your feed, but I posted it five hours ago, but you haven't looked at your feed since then. So that's, you know, just uh, one of the things that pops up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. my, my biggest crap on Instagram is I don't have quite the functionality on the, uh, web browser as I do on my phone or iPad. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. definitely kind of annoying. It's, yeah. It is annoying. Because if, if you, yeah, I've spent most of my time on Instagram on the PC. So, uh, you know, I have to make these, you know, nice little clicky smiley faces instead of you know, <laughs> the other emojis <laughs> that you can do on uh, the phone. But there you I go. Well, it's hard to keep up with all the stuff on Instagram anyways. I'm, yeah. I'm following, I don't know. A lot less people than are following me, and I still can't keep up. I, I oh, don't. I, I don't I gotta, scroll through my feed very much anymore. I go to the search bar and just look up people that I know that I <laughs> want to see what they're doing. Because yeah. it's just too hard. Like you're saying, Sean, it's too hard to go through and scroll through a hundred pictures yeah. to find the person that posted something three days ago. Right. Right. And honestly, the, the stories aspect is much better at it. Yeah. If they're if they are doing that, and that's you know, there are certain people that are. You know, I follow them for that purpose. They're, I'm seeing their like progression as they're going through a thing, and they're good about updating it. So there's kind of two different things going on there. But you definitely have to be good at updating it. I tried the stories a couple times, and it, I have difficulty posting now because I just have, I think, too much going on, and it mm-hmm. it sort of feels like a distraction a little bit to stop and make it a point to post stuff. Right, um, like Ramon Valdez. I don't know how he posts as often as he does. No, he's no constantly idea. posting. I just can't do it. <laughs> he, and he, you know, he does a great job of showing all kinds of cool tricks. And it, I mean, it's almost like a full time job as often as he seems to be doing it. But somehow he has a full time job as well, and doing the woodworking. And I don't know how he does it. It it takes so much more dedication than I'm uh, willing to give Instagram or any other social media. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, with that little bit of Instagram help, <laughs> you can edit that out, right? No, sure. Last, like twenty minutes. <laughs> no, we will not edit that out because <laughs> that's just the professionals we are. So, um, <laughs> that's uh, so. Um, where can they find you, uh, Crab? 
Uh, crap. Uh, Craig? Sorry. CT Fine Furniture. I almost called you Greg, but I went to. Well, that's okay. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> either right. my website at uh, ctfinefurniture.com or Instagram, also at ctfinefurniture.com. Yeah. For and those uh, who you didn't hear the earlier episodes. A good friend of mine is actually named Greg Thibodeau, so uh, it uh, does present some problems. But anyway, so Sean, where can folks find you? I'm. Uh, Seldom at the corner workshop, but mostly on Instagram at SeanW78. And you, Kyle? And I'm on Instagram at Barton.Kyle. There you go. And for that, with that, that just about wraps up our five questions episode with Craig. Thank you again for coming on. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe to our show on iTunes or Google Play Music. Uh, just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. Then you'll never miss any of our exciting episodes. While you're there, please leave us a review. And thank you again for listening to the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. If you like the show, please be sure to visit us at the Modern Woodworkers Association.com. You can follow us on MWA on Twitter, MWA at, I'm sorry, on Twitter at MWA underscore national, on Instagram at MWA underscore podcast, or like MWA on Facebook. And the best thing you can do is tell a friend. Word of mouth goes a long way in sharing our discussions. So get out there, be like Craig, and use Gorilla Glue in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to turn off all of the hand tool guys. Dang. Oh. Hand tools and high glue. <laughs>